coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. She is currently in a romantic relationship with a 50-something-year-old man. She's just turned 18 in March. She is a child under the spell of an adult. That's why they need adults in their lives to protect them from predators like this man. What up, what up, what up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. It's a show made up of real people going through real challenges. And I'm going to walk alongside you and we're going to figure out what comes next. I got two decades of sitting with people when the wheels have fallen off in their marriages, in their personal life, in the worst of the worst moments when sitting with people who have lost loved ones, who are considering taking their own life, all, it's been where I've spent my life. And that's what we do here on the show. My promise is I'm not going to have all the answers all the time. Sometimes I have to call some friends and reach out to a, to an expert or two across the country. My promise is I'm going to tell you the truth and I'll sit down in the mud with you. We will figure out what to do next. If you want to be on the show, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about mental health, whatever's going on in this, in this wild mental health ecosystem we got going on in this country. Um, sometimes talk about exercise, nutrition. Sometimes we talk about schools and what's going on in the lives of your kids. We talk about all, whatever's going on in your life. I'm here to walk alongside you. If you want to be on the show, give me a buzz at 1-844-693-3291. Leave a message and Jenna or um, Kelly will call you back and we'd love to have you on the show or go to johndeloney.com slash ask, A-S-K. So let's start the day show off here down the street in Nashville, Tennessee, and let's chat it up with Ray. It's a shame about Ray. What's up, Ray? Hey, John. I can't believe I'm on your show right now, dude. I can't believe you're talking to me. This is awesome. <laughs> I just appreciate it. I mean, you've saved my, my wife and I thousands of dollars in, <laughs> in therapy. So just by your show alone. So I appreciate um, actually getting to be, be on your, your show. So well, I appreciate you having the courage to give me a buzz, dude. So what's up, man? I, I, I mean, it, I don't really know where to start. Um, so I'm hoping you can kind of lead me with as I pose the question, kind of lead the conversation. So I feel like there's a lot behind it. Okay. Um, but I just find it difficult to let myself cry. Hmm. Even when I'm like, my body is telling me I need to, I just like, you know, even in a quiet place, it just doesn't happen. And it's not like, you know, when I'm watching a good movie, like, or grateful for my family and all that, like I can, the tears come a little bit of that, but it's like when I'm dealing with, um, like loss or stress or like shame or disappointment in myself or just sadness and it just doesn't come. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. you can guide me to know what to do. Give me an, an example of a, of a time when you were thinking in real time, I should be crying right now and I want to cry, but I can't give me a specific um, example. So when I, this happened actually just a couple of days ago, um, and it's, it's like little experiences like this that kind of add up um, that lead me to like feel that build and it just doesn't come. So like my son, he loves the projector. We have, we call it proje- projector night where he, you know, we, we put it up on the wall and, and all that. He wanted to put it up in a new place. He's three years old, by the way. Um, so he, we put up a show and he wanted to put a new spot spot wasn't big enough to fit the screen, you know, but he's pushing all the buttons and I'm trying to take it down and up. And I lose a little bit of my, my cool, not like hardcore, not yelling at him or anything like that, but just like, like, but we got to, you know, almost like I was blaming him. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, he's three, but it shouldn't push my buttons like that. But then I, then I go into the shame cycle where I start beating myself up and I'm feel this like, heaviness and I apologize to him, you know, sound like I feel sad that I reacted that way. I chose to react that way. Sorry, but I'll be better next time. Or, um, but man, it is that. And then I do something a little, something else or like, I don't do as good at work. And I feel this, like if I don't do a good job on a project or whatever, it then builds up and I just start to feel that. And I don't have like, I don't take time as much as I should maybe to, to sit and just be alone with it. But even then it doesn't always come. Man, you, you are describing your life as though you're watching a movie of yourself critiquing it. Hmm. And 
Brother, I got to tell you, man, that that is the quintessential. That's the quintessential definition of trauma is separation from oneself. Who told you, man, that the way you do life is wrong? Because when I hear a guy, I hear a guy that is like so far ahead of millions and millions of men, dads, husbands, trying to do better than what they got. But there's this voice in the stands that just won't let you get better. The inner critic, it's like the judge. It's so yeah, loud. but that inner critic, that's somebody's voice. Whose voice is that? Um, I... Probably my my parents. Um, hey, I also had. I mean, hold on, hold on. When I was, you've been defending them for way too long. They're grown ups; they can take care of themselves. Yeah, I have been. You gotta stop. I know. But you know, yeah. I mean, for example, like when I was a kid, you know, when I when I'd cry, this is something that came to my mind. Like my dad would be like, "Here comes the fire engine." Of course. make you cry more, you know, mm-hmm. and then but, uh, my hold mom on. is a con. Why did he make you cry more? Because it was like, it didn't matter to him. No, 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 that's not it. You cried more because when you were hurting, you needed one thing. And that was a dad who saw you and said, come here, buddy. Yeah. And damn it, he didn't give you that. And in fact, he widened the gulf. He made that chasm between the two of you wider and he looked at you and blamed you. Here comes the fireworks. Here comes the fire trucks. Wah, wah. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like being in the water and you realize it's, it's too deep and you can't touch and you start panicking and your dad makes eye contact with you and swims away. That's why you cried harder. That came from yeah. your guts. See what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I I do. And I bet that happened in high school too. Were I mean, you a kid? Yeah, I mean, were you a kid that got good grades? And then the the first response is, "Wow, would it, would another A have killed you?" Well, I'm <laughs> funny. I was homeschooled. I was pulled out really young and and had no structure with the schooling. And it was like, here's a math book. See, ya. I'm going to go teach piano lessons. And I'm like, okay, I'll try to learn how to do this. So had no structure, really no help in that regard. Um, but were but you judged as like, though you did? It, it, yeah, it was like, why, you know, you need to be doing this. And it's like critical in that, like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was very much like here, set me up, didn't really set me up for success. Um, but I mean, there, there were some great blessings that came from that. Here you, you know, go. Like, Stop defending them. For sure. For five I minutes. I know, dude. I know. Five minutes. <laughs> I, no, I I am a I'm a perfect example of that. I yeah. I also had to be there for my mom. I mean, my parents are divorced. I had to carry a lot of her worries, and or I chose to, or she put them on me. No, and you I didn't, didn't know hey, what to do with them. Kids don't choose. You didn't. That became your job and your role. So how do I? What do I do now? Like as much as it's like. Okay, I can. I've been. I have like novel sized notes in my phone of everything of how breaking it down and, you know, trying to make sense of it all. But in the end, it's like, okay, but I can try and make sense of it, but what do I do now? It's like, I can't really, <laughs> it doesn't do me much good just simply knowing what happened. It's like, well, I'm dealing with this now. So what do I do? How do I, how do I allow myself to feel again, feel that? vulnerability, like to be truly vulnerable in my own skin and be okay. Regardless of, I don't want like validation from others to cry. I don't want to have to put on Sarah McLaughlin to cry, or I want to be able to just like allow myself to cry. Okay. First, I want you to unhook yourself from crying being this magic finish line. Okay. Okay. So similar to like somebody who's been working in the real world for 10 years and they have an MBA and 
They're telling me they need to go back to get a PhD in business so they can learn how to do business better. I'm going to tell you, man, at this point, you can just, <laughs> you, you, you can just get what you need off the internet. So you, it's, it's, it's a false finish line. Okay. Okay. I don't want that to be your marker. Because what's going to happen is you're going to cry and you're still going to be sad. You're still going to be frustrated. You're still going to feel like the inside of your chest is cemented shut. And all of your guts have been super glued together, which is, which is how you feel. And crying will, crying is the result of the work. Crying isn't the destination, okay? So, uh, I'm running through my head here. I'll be as vague as I can. Um, uh, last week. I prefer specific if you need, if you're asking anything. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying to decide how much I'm going to disclose here. Um, okay. I'll just, it, we're here. So, last week. Um, I've been seeing a counselor, um, halfway through writing this last book, I was brought back to some memories and stories in my life that I had evidently buried far, far away. And I knew them. I knew I just didn't think about them very much. And it was, uh, like getting hit by a truck and I know them. I'm writing them down. Like you have got pages and pages in my notes app on my phone and in my little diary journal things. And then for the first time in 40 years, I spoke it out loud in front of a counselor. And I felt, oh, I can't describe it other than I'm still processing it. But I felt like I dropped a hundred pounds. And then I went home and I had a conversation and I've been married to the same woman for 20 years. We've been together for probably 25, 26 now. And I had never told her some of this stuff. And yet another hundred pounds. So I tell you this, there is only one path to vulnerability. And that is sitting in front of somebody else who could burn you, who could hurt you. And you saying, here's what happened. That's the path. Yeah. And I don't know how it works. I'm sure there's an oxytocin release and I'm sure partridgen and pear tree and dopamine and serotonin and jumping jacks and cold tubs. I'm sure all that crap is a thing. I don't care. What I know beyond a shadow of a doubt from the research, what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt from my own life, what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt from last week is that the thing that melts the cement in your chest is sitting across somebody and saying, this happened to me. That's why every major religion throughout all of human history has a confession element to it. And we've made confession about bad things we did. That's not the origin of confession. Confession, the origin of confession is, here's what happened. Mm. And I think it's been woven through every religion throughout human history because it's, a, it's, it's got a healing element to it. It's medicinal. Yeah. For lack of better terms, it's spiritual. It's a gift. Mm. Are there things that you've experienced that your wife doesn't even know? Yeah, not specifics. She knows some general, general uh, things. I haven't gotten into the, the dirt of it all. Have you ever sat down with a counselor and just said, hey, this is what happened? No. No. Well, I mean, some things, but not... not not the stuff. Not like, not this stuff. That's no. right. And what you're trying to do is, I want you to follow the pattern here. You're having a conversation with yourself that's reinforced by your younger self that then turns your body up and starts spinning. And then you've got to have a conversation to bring yourself back down. And you're in a loop-de-loop. -loop. And another word for loop-de-loop -loop is a hurricane or a tornado. And that, my friend, is anxiety. And then you find yourself trying to predict what she's going to say, what, what's going to happen over here. If your boss emails you at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, you can't breathe. Yeah, I, yeah, that needs to happen. <laughs> Bro, I, I mean, uh, crying's good. For me, crying <laughs> is cathartic. The other day I was, um, I don't mind telling, we're just going to tell all, all Deloney's laundry we're just going to put it all out there today. Um, 
I went to Texas for an event for a couple of days working with a really remarkable business. And I got to sit with a couple of buddies who have been my ride or dies for almost 30 years now. And their wives, I consider them some of my best friends. It's, we're a gang. And we all went out to dinner. It was just me and my two buddies and their two wives. Just us, no kids. And I secretly handed my debit card to the waitress under the table, pay for the whole meal. And I've had a season of blessing the last year. It's been silly. We sold a lot of books and a lot of questions for humans cards. And my buddy, John King looked at me and he said, you will never do that again. And I said, Hey man, it's been a good season. I've had a good little run here. Y'all have picked me up for years. These are guys, these two guys paid my rent. And he said, you have to have a place where you can pull up to a table and we love you because you're you, not because you're buying us dinner. Never do that again. And I was telling my wife this story when I got back to Nashville and I just started weeping in a restaurant. It just came because I was overwhelmed by how much those four people love me. And they don't care how famous and they don't care. They don't care anything. Because they were my friends. They loved me when they were paying my rent. One of those guys I had to call one time and say, hey, I've got like a real bad issue with my health and I may need to go to the ER and I've got no room on a credit card. Can I borrow your Southwest card to go to the ER? And he said, I'll drive you. That's how poor, and, and you see what I'm saying? But I was so overwhelmed. But the goal wasn't to cry at that lunch. The, cry was, the goal was to say out loud to somebody that I care and love, my wife, mm. I can't believe how blessed I am. And I can't believe yeah. I've got people that I don't have to prove myself to. Yeah. I feel like I, I, I don't, I mean, other than my wife, that's the best person to be able to do this with. But I, if you talk about having guy friends, I don't have guy friends. I mean, I, it's been, I need guy friends too. So like when you, when you talk about that, like you'd be able to sit down with dinner and it's not about what you can offer them. You know, it's just like you, Yeah, that's you it. are enough. You we, know? Tell, we tell and the same stories that, for 30 years. Yeah. Here's the deal. How old are you now? I'm, I'm 33. 33. You've got, I, I don't know, you start today and you'll be having this conversation when you're 53 and you've been riding or dying with a group of guys for 20 years. Mm. It's easier when they shove you all in a, in a college dorm and say, May the force be with you, right? May the odds be forever in your favor. And you don't have that luxury. But you got money now, right? You, you've got like a car. And it's just a yeah. matter of starting. The challenge for you is those kind of relationships burned you alive as a kid, man. And my guess is you and I could talk for a long time and you're trying to navigate a mom who used you like a water bottle, used you as a drug, right? You were oxygen for her. And a dad that was so critical of his own freaking son, man, that he mocked his pain, laughed at him because your cries were annoying and too loud, like a fire truck engine. My guess is you've probably made some dumb mistakes along the way trying to find connection with anybody, anywhere, anyplace, anyhow. And you ultimately learned, I'm just going to take my tools and go home. It's hard. Tears will come, but I want you to focus your energy on vulnerability, on finding a person, a couple of people that you can just be honest with for the first time. For me, that needed to be a professional. I need to sit down and say, hey, this stuff happened. And it was just like the glue melted, man. And my, my, my dearest hope for you, my brother, my neighbor here in town, is that you'll have the courage to make those calls. Sit down with your wife and say, hey, I have some dark stuff I'd love to tell you about, but it's also going to be heavy. So you tell me when you're ready. Because she can feel that disconnection between the two of you too. You're worth connecting i'm grateful for you my brother hang on the line i'm gonna send you a copy of own your past change your future for free um read that it'll give you a blueprint out 
grateful for you, man. Thanks for trying to be the best husband and dad you can be. Now I want you to take that level of care and look in the mirror and love that guy that much too. We'll be right back. This show is brought to you by Hallow. Almost every day, whether I'm doing my red light therapy, driving to work, listening to the Gregorian chants on the airplane, or just sitting on my front porch, I spend time using Hallow, my go-to app for guided prayer, music, and meditation. And right now, I'm going through a particularly stressful time. I got big deadlines, big speeches coming up in front of thousands of people, end of school and other family transitions, and on and on. And recently, I made a decision amidst all the chaos to dive even deeper into my faith and spiritual practices, and Hallow is leading the way. Hallow is the number one prayer and meditation app in the world. They have 10,000-plus audio-guided prayers and meditations, including daily prayers, daily gospel reflections, daily psalm readings, daily writings, minute meditations, and more. And there are places for people in Hallow who are skeptical and new to this whole faith conversation— And there's places for those who have been swimming in these waters their entire life and who just want to go deeper. And there are stories, audiobooks, and other special things for kids and focuses on mental and emotional health. For listeners of the Dr. John Deloney Show, Hallow will give you three free months. That's all 10,000 plus prayers, meditations, music, lecture series, all of it. Three free months if you go to hallow.com slash Deloney. That's Hallow, H-A-L-L-O-W dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go out to Boone, North Carolina, and talk to Gabriel. What's up, Gabriel? Yes. Hey, how are you? <laughs> yes. Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. How are you? Doing pretty well. Excellent. What's up? So, uh, it might get a little emotional. It's um, all good, man. I would like to know how the best way is to go about maintaining a relationship with my sister um, when she is currently in a romantic relationship with a 50-something-year-old man who I believe possibly groomed her. Um, She's just turned 18 in March. Oh, jeez. Whoa. Yeah. So. we, this had been going on. I personally knew the man before she did. Um, and so she had met him and, um, would see him on a weekly basis out at a, like a social setting, a social function. And, um, just over time started having like this little crush on him. And then it started developing into more. Um, and, there were measures put up to where they wouldn't have any more contact and like the social setting was um, done away with. So that way they wouldn't be seeing each other anymore. Um, And she had told everybody in the family that she wasn't seeing him anymore, that there was no conversation anymore, that there was no um, seeing him at all. But things got kind of funny back in, I want to say September and we thought that there's possibility that she was definitely seeing him and talking to him. So I actually had a very upfront conversation with her about what this would look like for her life, what it would look like, um, like all the different possibilities. And I also was very clear about how it would change our relationship. Um, and then I called him and I asked him directly, you know, are you having any, relations with her right now are you talking to her currently she has plans to come and move in with you do you know anything about this and he said no he knew nothing that there was no contact they weren't talking but some of the things that he was saying led me to believe that they definitely were talking um so yeah some time passed and went on Uh, My mother and stepfather ended up involving the police, but the police said that legal age was 16. So there was nothing that they could do either. Freaking North Carolina, dude. So Unbelievable. If you are a um, legislator in the state of North Carolina, you should be ashamed with with yourself. You shouldn't be able to sleep. Right. It's disgusting. 50 years old. With a 16-year-old. Yeah. 
So, um, God Almighty, what the what the hell's happening to our country, man? I don't know. God, it's so disgusting. It's disgusting. My God. I uh, urged her to. Um, hey, here, here's the thing. You're not. There is no conversation you can have with her. She is a child under the spell of an adult. That's why they need adults in their lives to protect them from predators like this man. There's not a conversation you haven't had with her that where she would go, oh, okay, I get it now. That's not going to happen. She is living in an altered reality, which is why a consent age of 16 is so insane. Golly, man. So I'll tell you this. I'm proud of you for calling him direct. I'm proud for your mother and stepfather calling the police. As you were talking, I kept saying, hey, there's going to be phone records. There's going to be all the photos she sent him that he requested from her. There's going to be all that crap's going to be out there and discoverable because it's electronic. But I forgot you're in North Carolina. So disgusting. Here's that feels super helpless. Yeah. I, I wish I had another I wish I had I wish I had something else I could tell you. I feel helpless for you. So I'm gonna tell you something that nobody else is gonna tell you, okay? Mm-hmm. And that is it's the great Evander Holyfield versus Mike Tyson move. Okay? Mm-hmm. Here's what the move was. Everybody was terrified of Mike Tyson. He would beat people before they even got in the ring. And he had an uppercut that came from the floor and would knock your head to the moon. And he had a very particular way he moved his right foot when he was engaging in this uppercut. And what happened was everybody, when they felt his body shifting, they would back up a few inches, which gave them gave him the exact space he needed to land that crushing blow. And then he fought Evander Holyfield who talks about how he trained for months that every time his body, Mike Tyson's body went to, to make that maneuver, he stepped in and got really close, which made that punch impossible to land. And over time he wore Mike Tyson out and defeated the undefeatable. And so here's what I want to tell you. Every time you get an arm's length from her, that's when you're going to get hurt. And that's when she's going to get hurt. So I'm going to tell you to do something crazy. I want you to lean in and get real close. Would she go to a weekly breakfast with you or a weekly lunch with just you two just to talk about sister stuff? Um. I mean, it might be a possibility to do it over the phone, but we're currently living um, about five hours apart. Okay. I'd set that up. I'd set up a weekly letter with her so that she gets something in the mail from you every week. And here's what we're doing. We are never going to let her completely detach from reality. One day she's going to open her eyes and go, oh God, what have I done? And we want to give her a trail of breadcrumbs back to you. And that she will immediately turn scared and look to her left and you will have been standing there the whole time. And most advice, what you're going to get is we'll just cut her off. Forget about her. She'll come crawling back. And I think that that's, that kind of wisdom has given us the, the, the world that we inhabit now. I think it's wrong. And so I would love for you to say, hey, you're my sister. I want to, we're going to talk every week and put a time on the calendar that you don't ever miss. And you might get off the phone, Gabrielle, and and just cry. Yeah. But keep showing up for her and keep showing up for her. And there may be moments when you have to put boundaries in like, hey, I want you to come visit. And you can say, hey, you know, I I really don't like, I, I really... I don't want to be around him. I'd love to hang out with you. I'd love it, love it, love it. 
but you know how I feel about him. So I'm asking you respect my boundaries. And she's 18. So she'll probably say something like, well, if you don't love him, then you don't love me. And you could say, you know, that's dumb. You know, it's yeah. not true. Yeah. Right. So there will be those moments and you know, those will come. Can I ask yeah. you a hard quick question? Yeah, of course. Was there anything in your y'all's ecosystem growing up that like, <sighs> it's just not super common. What was yeah, the well, what was the, the the breadcrumb trail that led her to this guy? Um, she really wanted out of a house that my parents had divorced, and she was the only sister, like the only girl left at home, um, with three brothers. And um, was there abuse? My my mom and stepdad don't have the best relationship. There's constant fighting, constant. The house is constantly loud and doesn't feel very stable. And that's just what you've heard. You don't even know exactly, right? Right. So she and took- I mean, there were ample opportunities. Like we, my husband and I made it very clear that she could come and live with us. She had um, another sister who offered the same thing that she could come and move in. And I think, it just, she waited too long and then this looked like a really good option. And it's super hard now to have, like, to continue a relationship because I've got a five-month-old daughter and under no circumstances do I want him around her. It's really hard to see, like, if he was pedophile who groomed her or if he was an older man and it was, like, it sounds so crazy, but like right time, right circumstances, even though it's so wrong. Does that even make sense? Yeah, I was, I'm always going to put that, lay that burden um, in the hands of the 50-year-old. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, I'm, I, I mean, if you're dancing on that line, it, it's just, you've, you got issues as is. But the man's disgusting. Right. And there's just not a way around it. And the police have said, dude, there's nothing we can do. And so yeah. I think any, any effort you spend trying to dig into that at this point, after the police have been involved and they've wiped their hands clean, I, I don't know there's a lot more to do. Yeah. Maybe you could dig around and see if you could find out they were contacting each other when she was only 15 instead of 16. But I mean, maybe, but right now he's playing the letter of the law. Right. I think, and they I, did that very well. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the, um, I think the energy best spent is creating a new relationship with her, that is distant enough from this guy, that she never loses touch with the fact that her family loves her, and there may have been so much chaos growing up that she just can't see the forest from the trees, she can't feel it or see it. Okay. You can break through that and, 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 and invite her back into your life. Not him, but her. Right. And this doesn't mean you right. give her money. And this doesn't mean you fill in the blank. Pay her rent. This doesn't mean all that kind of stuff. Right. It means I'm a, uh, we're talking every week. And if she wants to come down and see her niece, oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. He can't come. He's not welcome. So maybe yeah. the conversation with you and your husband is setting up boundaries for, um, what is this relationship going to look like with her? And again, don't chase it to where you get so close, you fall over the edge too. But I want you to think of ways you can lean in and get closer to your sister. Not in a manipulative way, but just in a way that when she turns her head and opens her eyes and goes, oh no, everything that I'm involved in right now is wrong. And I thought this was the only ticket out of a house of chaos and abuse and I was wrong. And you're right there. And you have been the whole way. And for everybody listening out there, if you've got somebody in your life who you love and you care about and making dumb decisions, find ways you can re-engage the relationship. Not, 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 um, don't give a drunk a drink or all that kind of, you know, all that stuff. But find a way you can reconnect. Healing, changing behavior, changing life always comes through reconnection. Always. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
One of the most common questions I get on my show is how do you get something off your chest, right? Like a deep secret that you've never told anyone, or maybe it's something that happened to you, or maybe it's something you've done that you're ashamed about or worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption across your life. All of us, every single one of us have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this all the time, secrets will kill you, but it's often so hard to know where to start. If you need to get something off your chest and you don't have a safe person to talk to, you may want to try therapy. Therapy is a safe, effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud, and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get those heavy things off my chest. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, it's super flexible, and it's suited to fit your schedule, whatever your schedule happens to be. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra money. Listen, it's time to get those secrets off your chest. Start with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back, and it's time for another round of Facts of Your Friends. Let's do it. All right, today we are talking about the mental health benefits of exercise. And this will probably be the shortest facts of your friends that we've ever done. The mental health benefits of exercise. So I just went to um, pull up the one of the, the, the top academic journals on the planet, Nature. Here's just a couple of snippets. We conclude that exercise may be a way to reduce depression and pain and improve the quality of life in adult subjects with fibromyalgia and should be a part of the treatment for this pathology. That's Kudo, who's the lead author on that paper. Another paper. A, small, a paper, by the way, is another, is just an inside way of saying a, a journal article, academic journal article, a research study that was done and then was written and published at a top-tier journal, which called a paper. Small study. It, it was not a big study, but it was an important study. The paper is by Patton, who was the lead author. Highlights the potential of HIT, which is intense exercises, for improving mental health in overweight women with polycystic ovary, ovary syndrome. HIT may be a viable strategy to reduce symptoms of depression and anxiety in women with PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. Another paper by Mock, M-O-K. He was the lead author, and there's a bunch of other authors on there. Combined resistance and endurance inter interventions elicited significant long-lasting improvements in global fatigue and were beneficial to the remaining side effects. Individually, resistance and endurance interventions non-significantly improved these side effects. Resistance interventions elicited higher benefits overall. Exercise interventions have lasting clinical benefits in ameliorating ad <laughs> adjuvant therapy side effects, which negatively impact fitness and mental well-being. And I believe this was in women with breast cancer. I may have got that wrong, but I think this was a this was dealing with women who were dealing with um, cancer treatments, suggesting that weight training and cardiovascular exercise, cardio. Doing those things together helped the entire process. Studies show, um, this is from Lawrence Robertson, Robinson. Studies show that exercise can treat mild to moderate depression as effectively as antidepressant medication, but without the side effects. Similar studies in the bajillions discuss that about anxiety. I have personally experienced a significant reduction in OCD symptoms with intense exercise on the regular. I've also felt a reduction in ticks. I have several ticks where I blink or I'll move my head or I'll count a significant reduction in those as well. Sleep is improved. Exercise improves cellular function. 
that helps reset your nervous system. Helps with chronic inflammation over the long period of time. After an extreme bout of exercise or hard exercise, inflammation does rise in your body. And it actually has shown that it's got a, it serves a purpose. But over time, it also helps with psychosomatic issues. When you feel chronic pain, but doctors are telling you, we don't see any th- reason why you should be hurting. Maybe there's a psych- it's psychological in origin. Lowers all-cause mortality, as the great Dr. Peter Atiyah says. Helps give us stronger bones, muscles. You have to exercise if you want to be well. Ta-da! If you want to really nerd out about this stuff, you can check out Dr. Huberman's podcast, especially he's got a um, multi-series podcast with Dr. Andy Galpin, who's just a savant. You can check out Dr. Atia's work. You can check out our friend Lane Norton's work, Dr. Lane Norton. You can check out the Mind Pump guys. I cannot emphasize this enough. Mental health, the way we have described mental health, and I say we, I'm a member of the mental health practitioner community. We have described mental health as simply the act of getting all of your thoughts in the right order, just thinking the right thoughts, and that's a lie. It is false. I had one professor, and I haven't verified this with data, just with a professor, a grad, one of my doctoral professors told me that Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychotherapy, had really bad teeth issues. And, you know, he's got a well-documented cocaine issue and he used cocaine to numb his gums because he had bad teeth. He was self-conscious of his teeth and he was so self-conscious that he had his clients lay down and face the other way. So the whole foundation of countertransference and don't let your patient look at you and just let them free associate may have originated, if my professor was telling me the truth, from a man's being self-conscious about the way his face looked. Why do I tell you that? That is the basis of mental health. It's just talking and talking and talking and talking and thinking and fixing your thinking and talking and talking. And we've completely divorced the body from the mind. So I'll say this as clear as possible. Your brain can't function the way it was designed to function if it is sitting atop a body that is falling apart. The stress chemicals that cycle through your body were designed for fight or flight responses, not click and type and more murder podcasts. That was a low blow to Kelly. That wasn't very nice. Sorry. Here's the deal. Go for a walk every day. Dr. Emily Nagotsky talks about um, folks who just would look at her and say, I, I, I'm not going to exercise. I'm not going to move. I don't feel comfortable. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know any of these exercises. Everyone's like, you should deadlift and squat. I don't even know what that is. Squat is something I do in the woods when I have to go to the bathroom and there's no, right? I I don't know what any of this stuff is. So she recommends lay in your bed and start with your feet and squeeze your feet as hard as you can. Flex them and then relax and then move up your body from your calves to your hamstrings, to your glutes, to your quads, all the way up, neck, your face, and then do that several times. Is that going to be enough over the long term? No, not at all. It's a place to start. You can't be well unless you have a practice of movement and exercise in your daily life. Um, I haven't read the original paper, so I haven't talked about it here, but um, I did see a headline recently that of all, we've been talking about microplastics and all this stuff and all this drama about the lowering testosterone rates globally. And there's some indication it may simply be we have moved from a movement-based society to a sedentary-based society. Our bodies have said, oh, we don't need this anymore. And it's going to stop making it because that's how good our bodies are. If we don't don't use it, we lose it. All of the data I've seen over the last couple of years suggests that weight training is the single most important thing you can do. Followed by what they call zone two, which is long, steady-state exercise where you can still carry on a conversation. So we're walking, 
maybe a little bit of a brisk pace, but we're just walking. We can still have a conversation, talk, chit-chat the whole time. I can ride an exercise bike and just watch a show. Ride an exercise bike and read a book. I do that when I'm doing Zone 2 or listen to a podcast. And then once or twice a week, every two weeks, just have a blowout session. Just go really hard for a few minutes. And if you want to go down rabbit holes on this, please go, go see my, my buddies at Mind Pump. Please go follow Dr. Lane Norton or Dr. Tia. There's really, you, can, you can go to the ends of the earth with this stuff. But if all of us would make movement a daily part of our lives, what we would see in short order is a less anxious society, a less depressed society, a society that can think a little bit clearer, that can show up for each other a little bit better. I have a habit of overdoing it. And I remember, uh, this is back in 2013, I was pushing it so hard that I just swore, I'm not going to lift for 60 days. And I just started walking around my neighborhood in the morning for an hour. I lost 30 pounds. And obviously I altered my diet and whatnot too, but just simply the stress. So sometimes crushing and killing, that's not, that's not the right season. Sometimes let's sign up for a marathon. Let's just go do that. Obviously, obviously, obviously meet with your doctor. But please, for your kids, for your spouse, for your country, for your spiritual life, for you. Make movement, make exercise a regular part of your life. Lift weights three to five days a week. Go for a walk. If you don't know how to lift weights, that's great. There's enough resources on the internet or go see a trainer for a couple of times and they'll walk you through some basic things. Now's the time. Make movement a part of your everyday life. And that's the platform from where we can build a mentally healthy life. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me, and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, we are back. Kelly was talking trash during the break. Yes. All right, let's make it public. Bring it out. All right, so I felt a little seen with the whole true crime thing. Oh, the, I, the murder I, I didn't podcast. feel a little seen. You came at me. I, I mean, there was, you know, it wasn't like <laughs> you came at me, some bro. sort of innuendo. It was in the news today that oh, a here woman, we go. Here we go. a woman working at a Plato's Closet, which is a resale shop, um, I can't remember what state, but was had been watching an Unsolved Mysteries and recognized a little girl that had been taken seven years ago, and she is now back home. So, ha. Huh. Sometimes <laughs> true crime is beneficial. Oh, in North Carolina that we've been dogging on today, by the way. So, let's just say that. There you have it, America. There you have it. For every thousand people who smoke and 999 of them get cancer and die, one of them saves a baby from drowning. We should all smoke. <laughs> Good job, Kelly. I'm just saying, sometimes it works out. Hey, I had this thought too. This is this is kind of getting a little meta here. This is picking up off that last uh teaching segment we did about murder podcasts from the previous episode of the show. I'm not a huge consumer of this stuff, but when I was working at the law school, um, oh gosh, I just lost it. It's this great, it's a great program where they, oh my gosh, are you kidding me, Deloney? They, they, it's law students uh, all across the country work to um, go through old death penalty cases. What is it called? You're talking about the Innocence, Innocence Project? Project. Good grief. Yeah. What an embarrassment. I'm, a, I'm an idiot. So I'm not an idiot. I said I wouldn't talk bad about myself. Sorry. 
the Innocence Project. So when I was working there, I always offered like, hey, I want to take a case home. And they never gave me one because I don't know what I'm doing, but I had this fantasy of solving it. How much of murder podcasts, especially the unsolved ones like Serial, is there a little bit of like, I bet I could figure it out? Um, I'd say that's fair. I mean. Uh, kind of like like when, when your husband's like, I've been looking in this drawer, it's not there. You're and like, you're like, because you know it is there. Yeah. I, I, and I feel I like could, the detective was probably a man who missed the most obvious thing that was right in front of his face. There you go. Right. So <laughs> way to gender this too. Way to gender this too. Podcasts about murder are also a part of the patriarchy, and Kelly's going to bring it all down. All right, so as we wrap up today's show, jeez. Oh, I would say, Kelly, this is your least attractive tattoo, and I'm not trying to be weird, but you have a giant kind of offset tiger above her knee. It's, it's just the whole thing. But it turns out she's a huge fan of Survivor, the band. Not the show with Jeff Propes, but the band. And every once in a while, if you listen really closely, really quietly, out on your front porch at night, you'll hear Kelly singing from the top of her lungs while looking at her tattoo on her leg. The following. Rising up, back on the street, did my time, took my chances. Went the distance, now I'm back on my feet, just a man in his will to survive. Again, there's the patriarchy. So many times it happens too fast. You trade your passion for glory. Don't lose your grip on your dreams of the past. You must fight just to keep them alive. It's the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight, rising up to the challenge of our rival. And the last known survivor stalks his prey in the night. Mm, that's a little bit creepy. And he's watching us all. Ah, again, creepy. With the eye of the tiger. <laughs> uh, she's dancing. I can see her out of the corner of my eye, and it's giving me the heebie-jeebies. Love y'all. Stay in school. Don't do drugs. Bye.